Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From grandmothers who whispered in their baby girl ear, to fathers on dimly lit street corners instructing young soldiers to always keep their eyes open. You be queen. You were fire. You were passed through centuries on the hands of your daughters. They called you wisdom. Proverbs. On the backs of diamond-eyed schoolchildren who grew into hymnals recited by amethyst-holding urban philosophers who recited neighborhood commandments out of the windows of restored El Camino chariots to keep the warmth in their blood. Be wise. Be smart. Be black opal, brown quartz, bloodstone and prayer. Be every form of gem. See, king told scribe, scribe told son, son told wife, wife told her daughter, and daughter told the ancestors, and the ancestors told me that you would come to give wisdom to thousands. They said you would come, dropping gem, dropping gem. Welcome to the Dropping Gems podcast. We're back at it. I'm Debbie Brown, your host. You know, astrology is really having such a gorgeous moment in the sun right now. Obviously, uh, for those who are familiar with astrology, it's older than time. (laughs) The art of astrology, the science of astrology, you know, it's one of the oldest and most sacred forms of not just recording history, but of people being able to begin to glimpse God sometimes and to experience themselves way back in antiquity. And now it is coming really full circle and having such a beautiful moment of awareness, I think, for so many of us, especially during the pandemic. Now, astrology, I also know, is going to be a hot button for some folks listening to this show as you begin to build your own recipe of self-care and your own recipe of the framework you create for your life to access God and to know yourself more deeply. I think with astrology, especially in some communities, there are so many misunderstandings about what it is. And for a long time in our mainstream society, 
it's kind of been regulated to the backs of magazines or, you know, the sides of boxes or just something that you do for entertainment or to be fun or silly. You know, the things like uh, the back of Cosmo magazine where it's like, you know, sexy tips for Capricorns or, you know, something like that. But astrology is actually really one of the first sciences along with Ayurveda. It is a system of planetary mapping. It is a way to really begin to interpret and dive into some of the complexities and challenges that we face here on earth and also some of the themes of what our individual lives are going to look like. When I was a girl, when I was a little girl, I used to love astrology. I was definitely one of the per- one of the people that bought those little astrology scrolls that would be at the supermarket when you were checking out next to the gum. Anybody else remember that? <laughs> I'd get those, and I was such a proud little Gemini. Um, I love being a Gemini. I'm born in June. And as I got older, my understanding of astrology started to deepen. So I got my very first birth chart reading 10 years ago with an amazing um, gentleman that does Yodish astrology. And it was so interesting to hear my life broken down from roughly zero to 99 and what all the stages of my life, what the greater themes were of it would look like. And then um, I've gotten more birth charts done over the years. And a recent one that I got, which was through Vedic astrology, was really beautiful and so fascinating to me because it went as far as breaking down what my personality traits were going to be based on when I was born, where I was born, the time that I was born, and also really broke down some very significant things that were meant to happen to me in a span of five years that started last year. And so far, it's all been uh, wildly accurate to the point that I'm shook. Uh <laughs> And it's also been a really beautiful way to enhance my journey. So something I speak to quite a bit is I am a fan of all the tools. You know, I think that we should be really applying selfology to ourselves, really investigating ourselves, finding our perfect recipe for our spirituality. You know, when I think of my spiritual life in my toolbox, the, the biggest thing that anchors my toolbox is the creator, God. Father, Mother, God, Divine Source. I also have in that box astrology and meditation and well-being and energy healing and intuitiveness. And, you know, I throw a deck of tarot cards in that toolbox. And there are so many beautiful systems of belief that have allowed me to get closer to God than I have ever been in my life and to get closer to myself than I have probably ever been in any lifetime. And so today's show is going to be all about unpacking the joys and the gifts of astrology. (laughs) I love, love, love talking about this stuff. And for anyone wondering, I am a Gemini sun, a Gemini moon with Leo rising. So that means when you say, what is your rising sign? That means that 
even though I'm a Gemini, some of my characteristic traits might look closer to a Leo and some of the experiences I have or the ways that I'm perceived might be a little more Leo, which I'm so fine with that. So today's show, we are going to be talking about not just really understanding what is astrology and its gifts, how to apply it to your life, but we're going to be going over 2020 as well, because something that has actually been comforting uh, in one of the most potentially challenging and terrifying years of many of our lives, that was 2020, is noticing what did the stars have to say about 2020? What were some of the predictions there? And what were some of the energies that were brought forward because of planetary alignment and why? And we're also going to dive into what are some of the themes of 2021? What have the stars aligned to tell us about how this next year will unfold? So today's guest on the show is an amazing embodied astrologer, Renee Sills. Embodied Astrology is written and produced by Renee Sills. That is her amazing podcast. She is an astrologer's daughter. Renee grew up speaking the language of astrology and has been practicing as an astrologer since 2012. She offers her clients chart interpretations that include individualized yoga, meditation, and self-care regimens. Renee has been a yoga teacher since 2004 and is the co-founder and co-director of Sola School of Contemplative Arts, a somatics and mindfulness-based yoga teacher training program that has a strong focus on accessibility and social justice. Embodied Astrology is one of many creative projects that keep Renee's life full and joyful. She works primarily as a socially engaged artist, and Renee is also the host of the Astrology Podcast, Embodied Astrology. Welcome to the show, Renee. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. I, listen, I stand. I stand for all things in the stars. It's so, it's so interesting. Um, Renee, you know, I feel like astrology is really having like such a beautiful moment in the sun right now, especially with COVID and the pandemic. It's like people are really locking in to find more tools and deeper understandings of themselves, of the world. And so I'm noticing, you know, people in my life that normally would not want to hear about this are telling me like, well, you know, Mercury is in retrograde. So <laughs> mm-hmm. and, it, mm-hmm. and it's so it's so beautiful because astrology is really, um, at least in my opinion, you know, one of the oldest and most sacred forms of self-investigation and journeying work you know it was really like the first form of it that we really had even before religion was created mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think it's um it's a really brilliant technology for uh connecting ourselves with the phenomenal world with the earth and the universe and the cosmos yeah yeah I I became there was a period of my life where I got really addicted to birth charts mm-hmm. <laughs> I have had my birth chart done um, so, so, so many times. Um, But it, you know what I found really beautiful, and I would love your thoughts on this. You know, every time that I've done, probably over the last 10 years of birth chart reading, there's always like, depending on the person reading the chart, there's like this deepening of my knowingness of myself. And I've started to find that really so much of the magic in the astrology and so much of the magic in readings is really based on the depth of the person translating for you. 
you know, really based on on not just the skill set, but the life experience, the amount of surrender, the amount of self-processing that the person who translates for you gives you. What is that? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I think in my experience as well. And um, when I came into astrology, one of the first books that I read uh, was by an author named Dane Rudyar. And he was talking in that book about the importance of astrologers to be able to interpret for their unique contexts. And, you know, astrology is, um, it's a creative uh, practice and an intuitive practice of interpreting astronomical data, right? So astrologers use the work of astronomers where a planet is or um, a particular configuration between planets to tell stories. Like we take these symbolism um, of these planetary energies, the stories that we've learned about them, um, and then each astrologer is going to do their own work around synthesizing those stories and intuiting the meaning that's the most relevant for the person that they're speaking to or the time that they're speaking to. So, you know, the astrologer that you work with, like, it's good if you have a resonance with them, you know, like if you feel like that astrologer can Mm. interpret symbols that are meaningful for you. And that might have to do with an astrologer's positional identity, with the work that they've done on themselves, with the amount of learning that they've done about the symbolism in astrology, because just like anything else, um, astro, you know, can be really formulaic. There have been a lot of books that have been written and a lot of the dominant information that's available have been written, you know, it's been written by white men, mostly by white European, you know, men and as a language. As as it seems like everything right? is, but I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. So I think a, a lot of the exciting work for me in astrology right now is tuning in with um, queer astrologers, with female astrologers, with astrologers of color, with folks who are uh, combining and synthesizing different practices as well as different awarenesses, awareness of astrology. Because astrology is a, mm. it, it's existed all around the world in every culture, like you said. It's such an ancient practice. And for yeah. someone like me who has been trained in Western astrology, it's so informative and helpful for me to learn about different ways of interpreting these symbols that contrast with the Greek or the Roman, you know, or the European (laughs) empirical kind of of synthesis of these symbols, like that gives something to me. And when I can critique those symbols as well and find my own meaning in them, it helps me speak to the clients that I resonate with, you know, that might Mm. not be totally dropping in with those, um, those other meanings. Wow. Wow. I was on uh, Instagram. I mean, of course, right. I'm alive. I was on Instagram (laughs) and there was this, uh, one of the pages that I follow had this post that I just, it really made me smile and it was around Christmas time and it was a, it it was like an image of, um, you know, Jesus in the manger and Mary and the wise men. And it said that the wise men were actually astrologers. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, I could actually, yeah, that makes sense to me. You yeah. know, following following the beautiful star, 
that Jesus was born under coming with the gifts like frankincense, myrrh, gold, you know, really alchemizing and transforming with those energies. And it was just so beautiful because those are pieces, you know, this, the work of astrology, and I think so many people think of astrology just as like maybe the the things on the back of a magazine, right? Gemini, this month's going to be hot and spicy or this month that, you know? <laughs> but it's really such a deeply sacred work. And when I think about the effect that me having my birth chart done over the years, uh, the way that it really built my spiritual confidence is what I really walked away with. You know, I think the first time I got my chart done, it was like, ooh, this is cool. Like, ooh, this is fun. I like doing, you know, different stuff. And then the more I would do it and the more I would kind of um, really use it as as a guidepost, you know, just saying like, oh, yeah, so if this is a theme of my life, then that makes sense that I've seen this pattern come up. It really just fortifies your understanding of yourself and it really enriches your confidence in how to observe being on the right path and how to really see when you're in alignment. Also how to remove judgment, right? Because sometimes depending on how deep you go with um, with your birth chart system, whether it's, you know, Vedic or Yodish or Western, you know, all, there's so many different little ways that I think people are connecting to this. Um, you look at it and it allows you to also come into a space of forgiveness and acceptance of yourself. You know, so many of the things that we think are, why am I like this? Why do I do that? But being able to see it kind of zoomed out and say, okay, I was given these particular systems of being and these particular kind of experiences or personality traits because this is how I was supposed to show up on earth and it serves me and it's for something that is so much greater than whatever this moment is. Um, Yeah, so it's such a, it's so sacred. It's so beautiful and it can be, you know, I think um, I think there's people that absolutely use it for like the fun value or sometimes like the entertainment of, ooh, love mm-hmm. is coming or this is coming. Mm-hmm. But to really sit with the work and really sit with it with a reverence, it's it's such a phenomenal tool for knowing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's such a beautiful way to describe it. I feel like a really good session for me, like when I'm feeling most aligned with my work, um, it's when I can be a reflective, you know, mirror for a client in allowing them to see themselves as they are, but maybe in a different way or helping to validate Mm. their intuition and, you know, affirm their beingness. Because I, I think, you know, astrology is, um, again, it's, it's a creative interpretation of data, but the data that we're using is universal data, right? And like the universe is constantly unfolding in all kinds of beautiful and mysterious and frightening and bizarre and idiosyncratic manifestations. And we're part of that. You know, every single person mm. is going to have their skills and talents and beauty. And they're also going to have the places where they feel wretched and pathological and they can't seem to get it right. And those, those wounds are sacred, you know, when we can hold them with reverence, like you're saying, like um, when we can accept ourselves and then not fight with ourselves so much. It's like then we can really get into the, the truth of our beings and the gifts that we've come in with. Yeah. For, so for anybody listening that is not 
fully an understanding of what this system of astrology is. Can you please explain like the mechanics behind it? How, what is this information? Why is it necessary to have like your birth time and your birth date? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, the system of astrology that I practice is called tropical astrology. And the tropical astrology chart looks like a circle. And that's a graphic representation of the sky at the time and place that that the event is. So maybe a person's birth, the moment that they come into the world and take their first breath. And in this map, we'll see uh, the kind of locational position of the earth in relationship to the planets. And the planets then are in relationship to each other. So there's uh, geometric arrangements, right, between all of these planetary objects, including the Earth. And how I think of this is, um, you know, we're, uh, we're embodied beings. You know, we, we live in a phenomenal world where gravity is one of our main rules. And the gravitational force and the magnetic force have a lot to do with how we experience our lives. And so the relationship uh, that's presented within the planetary constellation is going to affect some kind of resonance um, or vibration. And that vibration gets layered in at this first moment of arriving in our separate identities and our separate forms as a being that's no longer contained within another's body. Mm. And so the, the map that we get um, is a map describing qualities of light and harmonics and relationship. The time that someone's born is telling an astrologer what the light of that time of day is. So if you're born as the sun is rising, there's a particular kind of light that might be different, you know, that is different than if the sun is at high noon, right, directly above in the sky. Um, the time of year that you're born, what most people, you know, think of when they think of astrology, like what sign am I? Um, the time of year has so much to do with how we experience our lives. Like up here, I'm in the Northern Hemisphere in the Pacific Northwest. It's winter. It's like gray and dark all the time. I feel really different than I feel in the middle of July. And what's happening around me in terms of people's attitudes, um, the, the quote unquote, like traditions or behaviors that might be really common at this time of year are changing the food that people are eating, the smells that are in the air the pollen, et cetera, like it's very time specific. Um, so then, you know, with the moon sign, like we can think about the relationship between the earth, sun and moon, the way that the moon um, has such a, a significant effect upon the waters of earth. And we are living on earth, you know, we are part of earth, our bodies are made of earth. So it's, it's with this reverence that we position ourselves as, you know, earthlings, right? Like very much affected by light and time and the qualities of the light and the time that we are arising in. Um, so that's how I would, mm. would think about, you know, what an astrologer is reading. But every planet, um, you know, the, the planets are kind of a, a, a like amazing symbol to think of because for a lot of of the ancients our ancestors and even now I think there's this this awe of them right like I mean think about well it's not a uh, not a planet but the sun right our main luminary like we need this 
we need this energy to live and without it, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we're not going to be here, you know, or, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn, which is significant. And it's these two really bright lights coming together in the sky. It was visible to the naked eye. So humans throughout the ages, you know, we look to the sky, we look to our environment to understand ourselves and we can attribute qualities to that, which is outside of ourselves, right? Like we like to tell stories. We want to personify. Um, and astrology is an oral tradition, you know, as well as an oracular tradition. Um, it's passed through uh, stories. Mm. And so every planetary figure has a set of stories that it is associated with. And so when I look at an astrology chart, sometimes I feel like I'm looking at, um, you know, a huge novel, like somebody's life is just there. And there's so many different stories that are pouring out of it. So then my job is to kind of tune in to which story feels the most relevant right now, like what would um, be the most interesting and helpful for my client uh, to explore. So Renee, tell me, how did you begin in astrology and what has drawn you to continue this work and to really grow it so beautifully? Well, I began, um, not by choice at all, but by circumstance. My mom <laughs> was an astrologer and she had started studying astrology when she was in her early twenties. And when I was born, she was really interested in it. Um, and so she took me to get a reading when I was probably about six months old and continued to get me astrology readings throughout my life. And she worked with it. She was, a um, uh, she ended up, uh, becoming a therapist when I was a teenager. And so she combined astrology mm. with her counseling work. Wow. Yeah. And so she would often, I mean, I think a lot of children of therapists have this, um, experience of being, you know, explained by their parents or something. <laughs> Um, but my mom would often explain me to myself with astrology. And so I'd be going through something and she'd be like, oh, that's because of your Mars or your moon or something like that. And because astrology, at least the way that I've learned it and experienced it through her influence is not very judgmental. Um, it was actually really helpful for me. Like it gave me yeah. a lot of insight into myself and, um, and into other people, you know, we would play with other people's charts. And when I was in my early 20s, I was in a confusing relationship, you know, as many people are at that age. And I picked up a book on relationship astrology and immediately started to have more insight into um, the dynamics that were at play between me and the person that I was seeing. And then I just got obsessed and I've been obsessed ever since. Um, mm. I just think it's so helpful as a language and as a tool. And I continue to be amazed um, at its accuracy. Um, and so at this point in my life, I feel that it's a contribution that I can make in the world um, towards the kind of world that I want to live in, which is a mm. world that, you know, it's like people are so different. And if we can find ways to be here together, supporting one another in our differences and living into our creative potential, I think humanity has a great chance at <laughs> healing a lot of the trauma that's here, you know, taking care of our environment 
and really living joyfully and living with our highest potential. And um, I just experience over and over again that astrology is helpful towards those aims. So that's why I've stuck with it and continue to be enthusiastic about it. Oh, I love that so much. And I really hearing about your mom um, and your upbringing was such a great reflection for me because I am the same. Um, my son mm. is two and a half. Well, not the same I uh, as in my childhood, but my son, um, he's two and a half. But since he was born, right when he was born, I got his birth chart done and I've had it done again by someone else. And I've really, you know, I, I'm a big believer in a lot of like cephology work. And so I've already started building a book for him that oh. has like those deeper understandings about his life plan and, and, you know, what his, what his attributes are, what maybe some things that will be challenges are. And, you know, it's like, I felt really grateful and proud to be able to do that um, for him and myself, because it's also giving me tools to show up for him based on his needs and based on his life plan and based on his personality traits, as opposed to me as a parent, you know, perhaps imposing my will or um, my lens of perspe per perspective based on my own life, you know. Um, but I do astrology with my son. I do Reiki on my son. We meditate. And I'm so excited to see who he'll become and what kind of lens he'll view himself and the world through. Mm. God, that's so beautiful. I'm so excited to hear you speak to that. I feel really hopeful when I encounter parents and partners and family members, you know, anyone who's reaching towards these tools to help each other, you know, and what you were saying, yeah. like they're giving you tools to to be a supportive parent and ally for him and to not impose your ideas upon him. And in my experience, um, you know, with, with my mom, one of the most profound um, events that happened because of astrology is that I wanted to leave school when I was 13. I was really depressed and I hated being there. And my mom um, didn't understand what I was going through. She had been a person who'd really liked school, but she had my astrology chart and she knew that I, it wasn't a good place for me. And so she trusted me to leave. And also because of, of seeing my chart, like she worked with me to help me set up kind of more of a self-directed education, mm. which was so courageous. You know, she, all of her friends were telling her it was a bad idea. All of her family was telling her that. And for me, I, you know, I was literally suicidal before I left school. And within two years, I was doing great. Wow. Um, and so I just, I'm like, just so deeply grateful <laughs> to her for, tr for trusting what was coming through in astrology and following it. And yeah, I think that um, trying to support one another, at, you know, on, in our lives, like with all the differences between people and not being able to put ourselves entirely into another's experience, anything that can help us, you know, meet each other where we are is just something to celebrate. Yeah. Oh, so beautifully said. Something to celebrate, especially these days. Hold that thought. We are coming right back. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We had, we've just come out of a hell of a year, right? We just got out of, <laughs> yeah. Woo, 2020. Um, you know, the words used to describe this year, we've heard over and over, but they are so fitting. Unprecedented times, right? Um, it has been a year of profound challenge, but profound awakening as well. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of noticing this very distinct 
line in the sand that's kind of being drawn um, from my perspective energetically, where there really is becoming a separation between being stuck and allowing yourself to be awake. And it feels like to me that this like convergence, it's it's kind of going to be two worlds here on earth in a way that we haven't experienced yet, where one side is really going to be on this fast-tracked ascension. Um, and the other side maybe will continue to kind of um, stay where they are. I would love to hear what were some, you know, if, if we're looking through 2020 through the lens of astrology and understanding it through that depth, what are some of the moments that stood out for the year? And have any other moments in history been comparable to some of the things that we saw energetically this year? Wow, yeah, what a great question. Well, 2020 began with a really significant aspect um, that perfected on January 12th of 2020. And that aspect is a once every 36 year event, which is the meeting of the planet Saturn and Pluto. Um, So this is a, like I said, it's an event that occurs every 36 years or so, but they met in the sign Capricorn and the two planets hadn't come together in Capricorn uh, since 1518 was the last time that uh, that they formed a conjunction in Capricorn. And that was the year that basically the transatlantic slave trade began. It was the year that King Charles uh, of Spain authorized the first forced transport of enslaved people from, Af- from Africa to the Americas. Wow. And... Then um, the next time the planet Pluto was in Capricorn uh, was in the 1700s when the Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed and the kind of birth of the United States um, happened. And so in astrology, there are these cycles, like these cycles of time, right? All of the planets orbit around the sun in a, a cyclical rhythm. And astrologers are storytellers and historians. And so we are looking back all the time and going, okay, well, what's the cycle that we're in right now? And when a cycle completes, um, we're thinking about what is the resonance of this cycle that is completing and how is it giving birth to this new cycle that's beginning? So in 2020, the cycle that completed was a cycle that began in 1518, and that had resonance to, uh, I forget the year that um, Declaration of Independence was written, 1760-something, right? 1776, right? I Thank think. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, so in 2020, it's not at all surprising, you know, that a, a kind of mass consciousness, like, it's not like you know, people hadn't been saying this or chanting this for (laughs) generations already, but it it was like a mass consciousness suddenly clicked into Mm. what the history is, you know, to some level and started to acknowledge it together. And that gave momentum um, to start this new cycle. And the new cycle then is arising from the past but it also is going to have its own momentum, its own kind of flavor. Um, And one of the significant things about the conjunction in 2020 is that Jupiter uh, was also in Capricorn. And so there was a kind of triple conjunction throughout the year. 
And as a planetary energy, um, Jupiter provides uh, opportunity and growth and the possibility of expansion and wisdom and learning. And so I think a, a lot of um, what what came through in 2020, like you said, you know, unprecedented, uh, other words I've heard are reckoning, um, you know, this, this need to be accountable to what has happened and to learn from it and then to grow into something new, to transform uh, what has happened into something new. Um, so within 2020, I would say that the main influence uh, was this conjunction between Saturn and Pluto uh, with Jupiter's influence as well. And there, you know, there were several influences throughout the year that I think were um, notable. But one of the other ones that a lot of astrologers were following and talking about was um, the way that Mars retrograde cycle uh, aspected with these influences in Capricorn. Um, and Mars was retrograde for um, basically from July through the end of the year. Oh, so and spicy too. So spicy. Yeah, Mars is the planetary ruler of Aries. Um, both of their energies are, uh, they can be warlike and combative. They can be really aggressive. They represent um, not men per se, but masculinity. And so like this kind of young energy, the um, uh, a lot of things that we may associate with a, like with a kind of masculinity. So um, like a bravado or a machismo or a showiness or um, assertiveness or, or things like that. And Mars was retrograde um, September uh, and October. And it was forming really hard aspects with the Capricorn placements um, all through July, uh, June, July, August, um, and then in through the rest of the year. And when Mars formed its squares to Pluto, um, what we had is a confrontational aspect. This is a square, an argumentative, conflicting aspect between one energy Mars and Aries that is um, pushing for some kind of movement, like uh, it, it's an unapologetic uh, push for action. Aries mm. is really action oriented. There can be a lot of individualism within uh, Mars and Aries as an energy. And also th there's a, a kind of uh, nod to the power of a person with with Aries as an energy and with Mars as an energy. And they are confronting Pluto and Capricorn, which we might see as an energetic that describes um, uh, a government or dominant power. This is Capricorn and Pluto. Um, some kind of transformative process would be one way to think of the symbol, but we can also think of uh, the misuse of power and a kind of tyranny that can come through with Pluto's energetic. So looking back at last year and, um, you know, the uprisings and this incredible um, kind of energy of change that came through in 2020, um, it's really amazing to look at the correspondence between uh, Mars square Pluto um, and kind of how those aspects showed up in the charts that that I looked at, some of the charts um, 
uh, of last year's like really notable moments, you know, so in the chart for um, the uprising in Minneapolis following George Floyd's murder, um, there was such incredible tension between Mars and Pluto um, and numerous other aspects that, you know, probably aren't, this isn't a time to get into explaining all of them, but a, a symbol basically of individuals being fed up, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and the, the force of conviction that gained enough momentum to become cohesive enough to challenge a dominant power and to break something mm. or break through something. It's so interesting, you know, something that I've spoken to quite a bit on the show and just a reflection I've been having in myself is without even knowing the the astrological background on this is how really in the last three to five years, our collective consciousness has risen probably more than it's risen in the last several hundred years. You know, like these these conversations, these themes of the way we experience ourselves in society have been rising to the top at this accelerated pace, you know, and it's like, it's incredible, um, but it's a lot. And I think we haven't really taken full stock of how weighty that is, you know, to be fully embedded and exploring uh, the racial dynamic in America this powerfully for the first time, Um, really opening up conversations about women and sexuality and, you know, the oppression of women and sexual assault and, you know, the way in which toxic masculinity has guided us societally since its inception. And, you know, it's like we are gender equality, you know, um, all the different ways that, that we can come to this earth. You know, we have not unpacked all of these things ever, let alone all at once. You know, and so it's it's in terms of our collective consciousness, it's a it's a gorgeous elevation we're having, but it is also probably the biggest challenge for all of us to really receive and interpret and sit with how heavy these themes are. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think um I think twenty twenty one in terms of astrological symbolism um really speaks to that. Oh my God, tell me, tell me, Renee. Yeah, so... Give us the um, hope. (laughs) (laughs) um, Well, so in 2020, uh, I was already kind of talking about the presence of Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn. And Capricorn is a sign that um, is associated with what has been built over time through the dominant power. So the structures that have been erected um, historically because of who had access to erecting them. So we can think about governments for sure and, le- and you know, leaders or, or whatever, like these structural powers, um, as well as traditions and conservatism, um, two words that are really associated with Capricorn often. And Aquarius is a sign that comes after Capricorn. And with Aquarius, um, there are two ways I, I think um, we can describe Aquarius. And so First of all, Aquarius is an air sign, and all of the air signs have to do with uh, thought and um, concept and the mental plane, the informational plane. And coming after Capricorn, Aquarius can be a symbol of um, the like 
mental fixedness that is produced um, through tradition or through um, coherence with the dominant structure. So for example, um, you know, you could be waiting to cross the street and the light is red, but there's no cars coming. You could easily cross the street. But if you've really been trained to not cross the street when the light is red, you won't even go to start to walk, right? Like that would be an example of the way that a thought could be really embodied and then become a, an attitude or a somatic um, instinct. And so Aquarius can definitely speak to that, like the ways that we are complicit with, um, with structure uh, without even thinking about it, just because that's what we've grown in and, and arisen from. These are our conditions. Um, but Aquarius also speaks to the ability to wake up to conditioning and to break uh, to have some kind of breakthrough and then to uh, reach for liberation. And that's kind of the high vibration of Aquarius is this idea of freedom. And it's not like freedom to do whatever you want. It's, it's freedom from the conditioning, like freedom to actually be present in your life and not to stay in some constant state of repetition or oppression under uh, someone else's thought form, right? Or structural thought. So on the solstice of 2020, December 21st, uh, 2020, Jupiter and Saturn um, had both moved into Aquarius uh, the couple of days before, and they formed a conjunction on that day. And that was also a very significant astrological event. Jupiter and Saturn only form their conjunctions once every 20 years. But due to their... um, their orbits around the sun, their conjunctions uh, form in signs of the same element for 200 years. And they had been meeting in the earth signs since the early 1800s. And this year, Jupiter and Saturn's conjunction in Aquarius um, on December 21st marks not just the beginning of a new 20-year cycle, but the beginning of a new 200-year cycle where they'll be meeting in the air signs. And so what this implies with Jupiter and Saturn is a shifting social sentiment. There is enough consciousness and also enough motivation for people to really want change within the structures of society. The first decade or two of this new 200-year cycle um, will be marked by this effort to change. And astrologers call this time between the, uh, the changes in element of their meetings, they call it the great mutation because it's a mutation of a social landscape. Wow. And the mutation is also occurring, obviously, for each of us individually. And throughout 2021, the most significant astrological aspects will take place between uh, Saturn in Aquarius and the planet Uranus in Taurus. And Uranus is um, associated with Aquarius. It's the modern... Uh, planetary ruler of the sign. And what this aspect speaks to is uh, some kind of concentrated effort to change. And the effort to change is um, not easy, right? Like, especially if we're trying to change things that are really deeply embedded, especially if we're trying to change things that, like you said, haven't been talked about, like have barely been acknowledged, might not even, you know, be cognizant for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. So the ability to change um, is, is, you know, uh, 
it, it necessitates mental, psychic, physical, relational, uh, emotional willingness to be uncomfortable, right? And to like try to recognize where habit and pattern is keeping us from having an authentic, liberated experience, a loving experience. So my feeling of, of 2021 is that um, there, there is enough consciousness now that the hope for change can get grounded. Like, like we're mm. seeing it, you know, we're, we're feeling like maybe not as apathetic, you know, as we did in yeah. 2019. Like there's a feeling of like, maybe, maybe we can get somewhere. And there's, there's so much assistance when it comes to information at this time. There is language that we didn't have 10 years ago. Right. There are leaders and teachers who are modeling by example, um, ways of being and ways of uh, policy making or legislating that we could feel hopeful about. Um, there's a lot of ideas about how we could reshape society or reform community. And I think that there's enough people that want that, that we can make a sustained push and a sustained effort. But the, the challenge of this, of this year especially is to be consistent and dedicated in our effort. Mm. we've got a lot of ideas there's a lot of enthusiasm there's a lot of energy for change but it's not going to happen overnight and there will be this uh like intensity around the struggle for it so we have to stay consistent and part of consistency is also sustainability right like we we can't burn ourselves out and one thing that I'm really loving about right now is how much um awareness and I I feel like your podcast does this uh, so much too. Like there's this awareness that the revolution is going to be supported by care, you know, Mm. and it's not just the fight for change. It's also like, or it's not just the fight, you know, like change can also look like holding each other and um, being vulnerable, like allowing someone to like see you when you don't know what you're doing and you feel like you just made a mess and, a lot, like giving space to each other to take a nap and taking care of someone's kids or, you know, things like this. Like this is all part of, of what's going to carry us through. Wow. 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 For anybody that was just listening to this and felt, did feel that spark of hope, but also perhaps felt a little weighted down. Cause I think, you know, the thing that, that everyone made it through 2020, was like, oh, the year is over. Uh, so now things are gonna be, you know, uh, lighter or different. Um, would you say that the challenges this year we will feel more equipped for? Or do you think that this will be another year of kind of some of that um, cocooning or maybe uh, emotional withdrawal and isolation? You know, I think that 2021 has a remarkably different energy than 2020 in the sense that 2020 had a feeling for me in the astrology um, that definitely I think was a feeling a lot of people experienced a really intense restriction and Mm. isolation and and closure. Um, It was a death year. And 2021 um, is... much more of an activating year. Like there's a lot of, of energy in it that feels more 
excitable and excited than 2020 did. That said, a word like easy or something like that isn't what I would use to describe what I feel coming through. And, (laughs) um, you know, the changing of a calendar year, the Gregorian calendar, it's, it's definitely significant, but it doesn't mean that all that was unearthed and the problems of 2020 aren't just here with us in 2021. Like we, we have to continue, um, you know, with everything that, that we've already been doing and it will take a different form. You know, Mm. I think there's, I really do feel like there's a remarkably different energy this year. Um, but I, I don't I don't get the feeling that it's um, like just a relaxed, chill walk in the park or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. And I, and I feel that too. I feel that, you know, 2020 was the year of illumination on a global mm-hmm. scale of mm-hmm. all of the secrets and the darker parts and the crevices that many of us knew about, but also many didn't, especially globally. And I think it was the year that we were meant to meet ourselves more deeply. We were meant to really start figuring out our deeper desires and our needs and who are we without these titles or without these roles or friendships or events or, you know, and to cultivate tools. And it feels like 2021, it's like, hey, life is still happening. Earth is still wild. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Now you not only have the tools, but you know how to use them. You've practiced using them. So none of this will be a shock anymore. None of this will feel as disconnected from self. You know, like we get to actually walk into the world with confidence of use of our tools. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Still got to use them, but we feel Mm -hmm. a little more equipped to use them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When you were saying that, I was thinking about how in 2020, I think astrology matches with this and and definitely the sentiment that I had a lot was that there was the, you know, there was like a lot, there was so much loss and this feeling of like things can't, things aren't going to be the same anymore. Like the, people were saying that all the time, you know, it's like, Oh, things aren't going to be the same. And like this really dramatic departure from the status quo that the pandemic brought, you know, that we really like are in a, a profound moment of change. And what 2021 feels like to me is that we've now gotten through the malaise uh, and the inertia of that first phase of change that has to do with unpredictability and not knowing what's happening and feeling like things are being taken away and something is ending. And now there's this sense of, okay, things have changed. They're continuing to change. So how can I push for the kind of change that I want? There's like more, there's more conviction, there's more fearlessness. And there's also more of an attitude of like, well, (laughs) I got to give it all I've got, you know, because this is the chance to do it. And there's not really much else to do other than that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I'm I'm a believer in the opportunity and everything. So Mm -hmm. I personally feel like, and I think a lot of the listeners of this show, can kind of feel this same way too. It's just like, okay, 2020 taught me how to surrender fully to uncertainty or for some glimpse, the understanding of uncertainty um, and find some peace with it. And then this is the year that, 
you know, I get to now test drive this new normal with a little more confidence. You know, the work isn't done. It's never done. But I do think that there's going to be ease to our process or at least some creativity in our process this go round. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. And what you said about surrender, um, I think that's, you know, when you're talking about tools, you know, the tools that people have that maybe they've been able to practice now and can employ uh, with more ease as we move forward. Surrender feels like one of those tools to me, you know, of like, okay, yeah. here we are. We don't know what's next. Uh, what's in the past is now gone, but like, here we are. I'm going to surrender yeah. to this and make the most out of it. Oh, I love that. Renee, before uh, we head out of here at the end of every show, we give everyone listening a little bit of soul work. Do you have some soul work that our audience can take away with them this week? Something that they, maybe they can practice or do or try or taste or glimpse until our next episode? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I'm so um, excited for this and I loved um, learning that you did this in your podcast. Um, what, one thing that I wanted to offer that I've been working with myself um, on a lot in the last couple of months is um, it's a practice for, for circulation of uh, vitality, of love, of awareness. And astrologically in 2021, um, like I said, one of the main influences has to do with Aquarius, with this Aquarian energy. And I study medical astrology and the astrology of the body. And in that um, system, Aquarius rules circulation and the circulation of, of our blood and of oxygen, as well as life force, um, mm. the nervous system, consciousness uh, from our spine and our central body and our heart uh, out into all of our tissues, into the periphery of our body and into the energy that we exude in the world. Um, so the, the homework that I would offer the practice, um, would be a pretty simple embodiment invitation, which is to, uh, imagine and try and bring awareness into your literal heart, into the organ of your heart. And I find that touch can really help me. And so to feel your heart, it can be helpful to gently tap with your fingertips over your sternum and your chest, or it can be helpful to place your palms over your chest or around the sides of your upper ribs. Um, your heart is held between your two lungs. Um, and it's also supported underneath by your diaphragm and it's directly in front of your spine. So, any, any assistance that can give to think about the location of your heart, to feel your breath, to feel your spine, um, to touch your body and to come into some kind of imagination would be one way or a couple of ways to uh, start to feel your heart. Mm. And then the meditation is to really um, arrive with presence in your heart and to invite your heart's energy to start to expand. 
and your heart's energy on a physiological level um, is your life energy. You know, it is um, your heartbeat, your pulse, uh, your heart mo moves oxygen, um, which all of your cells need into your entire body. And so you can think about this with your breath, like as you inhale, um, you might breathe directly in to your heart and really feel its strength. And as you exhale, you could imagine the energy of your heart um, emanating and traveling all the way out into every single part of your body. If it feels more intuitive to feel your heart expanding as you breathe in and then strengthening as you exhale, either way is fine. And that would be the invitation is to spend time every day for just a couple of minutes or longer if you have it um, and really tune into your heart and feel your heart, ask your heart to talk to you, you know, like there's so much wisdom in our hearts, um, in, in their actual organs, but also in the energy that surrounds them and uh, the ways that we feel love and care and connection um, in our chest centers. So anything that resonates for heart energy, to tune in, to breathe, uh, to listen and then to invite it to expand into your whole body and maybe even out into the space around you. That felt so good. I was I was following your directions as you were talking. <laughs> I'm so blissed out. Ah, Renee, I am so grateful um, for who you are in the world and this beautiful work that you do and everyone listening. Everything will be tagged in the show information, but please join Renee on her Instagram, Embodied Astrology. She also has a beautiful podcast called Embodied Astrology that you should check out, um, amongst so many other things. I am so grateful. Thank you so much for coming on today and breaking all of this down so beautifully for us. Mm, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Hey, find me on social. Let's connect at Debbie Brown. That's Twitter and Instagram or go to my website, DebbieBrown.com. And if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and send this episode to a friend. Dropping Gems is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. It's produced by Tribble and me, Debbie Brown. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.